episode 15 of Great Quarter Guys. I am here, uh, your co-host Andrew Cox, with the one and only Mr. Kevin Hill. How are we doing today, Kevin? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's rainy day in Chattanooga, but we're doing good. So It's just become a part of everyday life. It really has. You know, we were talking what the one day it hasn't rained in the last two weeks, it snowed. That's right. My One of my British friends used to say he lives in London, you know, notoriously rainy London. He says uh, some people get wet and some people get rained on. And there's a there's a difference between the two. You, you got to become accustomed to the rain and it's just a part of your day. And that's I, what it seems to be here in Chattanooga. I, I know. Michael, Michael Caney told me yesterday that whenever he moved here, he Googled which city gets more rain. Is it Seattle or Chattanooga? And I guess Chattanooga yeah, gets more rain than Seattle. 51 inches a year here in Chattanooga on average. Uh, oh. Seattle gets 38. I know the Tennessee River is going up. I know it's been it's up like uh, it was up seven seven feet last week. Uh, so yes, it has gone up. Incredibly. Yeah, definitely. So we have a great show for you today. Um, instead of doing one company and kind of di- diving deep into that, we're going to take one epidemic, I guess, and yes. and dive a little bit deeper in there. We have a, a really special guest uh, that will be joining us in just a second, and that's Lorraine Loraco uh, from CNBC. Uh, she she's written like five different books on on international trade, shipping, uh, kind of, kind of the, the ocean container kind of fleet, uh, really big shipping industry ocean wise, uh, and she'll be coming out. Or she actually published an article on FreightWaves.com last week on kind of freight flows and how coronavirus is disrupting that, and also diving into the the <coughs> excuse me the the trade agreement. And, you know, both import-wise, but also the export-wise, the, the agricultural products that China has agreed to buy going forward. So we're going to talk to her in just a second. Actually, I'm going to call her right now. And uh, Good. I'll, I'll give you a little update on what we've been writing about thus far in the coronavirus. The Passport Research Team uh, published a report about two weeks ago, kind of giving their, uh, their feel of the data thus far. Uh, this was two weeks ago again. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it doesn't give you the full effect when every day we look at these infection totals, we look at these death totals and they, they creep up a little bit. You see this like drip up uh, into the data. But now that we look back two weeks later after um, after reporting the first time, things are up, infections are up 1,300% in two weeks. I believe we have Lorianne here on the phone, so let's bring her in. Hello, Lorianne. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, good, good. Um, just a second. Let me see if I can uh, go ahead and say something right now. Let's see. My Bluetooth was supposed to be paired in here. Oh, okay. Can you hear me now? Uh, I feel like I'm in a commercial. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? One second. Let me get my Bluetooth activated again. I think it... Uh, yeah, so uh, in the meantime, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, we uh, everybody's comparing this to the SARS outbreak in 2003, uh, and the death and infection totals have been a bit higher, but, uh, you know, there's going to be a big difference between this impact uh, on the global economy and the SARS impact because of the way that China has grown over the last 15 years. I'm, uh, if we can get Lorianne going here in a bit. We I think so. I, uh, how are you doing, Lorianne? I'm doing well. How are you doing? There we go. There she is. There we go. <laughs> I, I set up my Bluetooth earlier in the day and I cause it got disconnected at some point, so I had to reconnect that. Yeah, so technology is a pesky little thing sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, Lorianne, let's start off. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, you're with CNBC. You've written, I think, five books on shipping. Can you dive a little bit deeper <laughs> in that? And, and, and let yeah, us. Sure. Yeah. 
Okay, well, um, I, I am the author of five books, and uh, my latest is uh, Trade War, Containers Don't Lie, Navigating the Bluster. And what it is is that I've always been fascinated by maritime. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I grew up on Long Island. And, um, you know, with 90% of everything in your home that comes from a ship, um, you know, folks really need to uh, be keenly aware of what's going on uh, with the flow of trade as it relates to maritime, because not only is it a forward-looking indicator of a country's uh, economic health, it could also tell you the truth as it relates to the trade war, like who's winning, if China's really buying. And now you could even use those same fundamentals looking at the coronavirus and kind of having the tea leaves, if you will, of the impact uh, that we that we will see. Um, it's just a matter of time in intermodal. And uh, that's what I'm working on right now. And I just got some fresh data that's uh, pretty eye-popping, um, if I do say so myself. It's, it's, it's a fascinating yeah. um, industry, yes. Well, you want to you wanna spill some of that new fresh data? We'd love to hear it. I would, I would. Uh, well, basically, I mean, one of my uh, one of my sources is a very big uh, drayage uh, 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 provider um, in China as well as globally. And uh, what we're seeing is, and it's kind of like common sense, but it's nice to see the numbers. Um, even though it's great that the that some manufacturers are opening up, the problem is you have people that cannot move within the country. And so you either have people sick, you know, with the virus or people that just can't move because, you know, there is, there's restrictions. So, for example, um, I'm looking at the data right now um, out of uh, Kinjo, uh, you have a 70% re- uh, recovery, if you will, in manufacturing with the terminals reopening. Re- reopening. But you only have 15% of uh, recoverage, uh, recovery rather in drayage. And the reason for that is that there is no trans-city service allowed. So while it's great that you've got these products that are being made or, you know, products that can be loaded, you don't have the personnel to move the stuff. So you're going to see a massive uh, supply chain crunch, if you will. And from what I've been talking to, you know, from the folks I've been speaking with, you're not going to see some sort of normalcy until maybe April. Wow. And so if you're, yeah, if you're a trucker, you know, that, that, that's a big deal. So, um, and the other thing too is I just got an email now that with some, you know, there are some things that, you know, you can wait on, right, um, in terms of seasonality um, of when things can be moved, you know, transported by vessel. But if you have things that are time sensitive, uh, one of my sources just emailed me saying that they're seeing a spike, if you will, in charters, in plane charters. So, you know, folks are going to get their stuff the way they can. So if you're if you're a truck driver, you may not be going to a port to go pick up something. You might be going to an airport. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how things um, unfold over the coming weeks when it comes to this. And again, that's the flow of trade. This is a great tea leaf for companies to plan ahead. You just have to, you know, keep your eyes and ears open and read. So one of my questions, um, you know, but before we got into this, Lorianne, was was to question you on how quickly you thought the uh, the Chinese factories could restart production. But it seems like most of them have gotten production upstarted. But it's it's now going to be a supply chain issue with the is the government restrictions on inner city of movement. Is that correct? Correct. Inner city movement is a very big problem. Uh, you do still have a you know a certain amount of manufacturers that are not open. They're not open maybe until next week. 
Um, but it's very hard when it comes to China when you're seeing these numbers of how many people are infected and and things of that nature. And the other thing is, you know, the, the manufacturing plant may be open, but you don't know how many people are there. You know, it might not be 100% staff. So the volume that will be coming out of that plant might be less. And so you and I both know less items means less items filling a container uh, for transport. But the majority of the stuff that I'm looking at now I'm looking at, uh, you know, Ningbo, 5% dryage uh, th- that's up and running. Um, the, the best that I see right now is 30% uh, dryage recovery. Um, but the cost right now is uh, um, between 30 to 50% higher than normal because of the lack of, uh, because of the lack of availability of, of movement. So you're saying but, that, but no, uh, yeah. sorry, sorry, you're saying that there's 30% capacity and that's the highest capacity in one of the ports is about 30% drayage. And, yeah. and that's, of course, causing an increased price of, of what, 30 to 50% uh, of because of the, yeah. the lack of or the, the tightness of the market. See, it's, it's exactly. actually good. To, if, I'm sorry. I was just uh, going to say that it's, it's good to hear you actually have some data that, that from non-government sources. You know, we've almost been in the dark yeah. a bit about, uh, about the Chinese economy. And that was, that was going to be my, one of my questions is how much are we in the dark? But it's good that you're able to shed some light. You know, it's all about, you know, trusting the people that, that you work with from a, from a reporter standpoint, you know, how valuable sources are. And, and the source that I'm talking to is like, please do not use my name because I don't want to be, you know, of course, mm-hmm. you know, get in trouble, you know, as it relates to the Chinese government. But, but this in particular, this logistics provider, global logistics provider is saying that the situation won't be relieved in China until March. And as you know, with a 20 to 30 day or even 14 day, uh, you know, voyage, if you will, from point A to point B, that brings you into April. And so I did ask my logistics guy saying, well, remember, you know, we all remember the front loading problem, right? Mm-hmm. And how you had the surge of volume and you had, um, you know, this, uh, what they call the truck shortage, but it really wasn't a driver shortage. It was a chassis shortage because you had People using chassis as uh, chassis as uh, miniature, you know, mini warehouses, if you will. Uh, they don't see it as that bad, um, but you will see, um, you know, you're going to see, you know, this push, if you will, you know, going into uh, April. But you know, that means, you know, well, that does that translate into lean, into lean volumes for the intermodal industry between now and then? So, when you say pushing into April, is that everything that's kind of can be shipped out? Uh, will be pushed out around April when everything gets closer to 100%. Uh, what about all the back orders? Do you think that that, that push is going to extend for for months as, as the back orders are, are filled as quickly as possible? From what I've been told from folks is it's very hard to gauge what the, or, like what the priority is within the manufacturing plants of what they're going to make first. Um, but you have stuff that, you know, is is sitting like on pallets, if you will, right. Um, before uh, the Chinese lunar year, where they're like, okay, well, when I come back, you know, from holiday, we'll just get these, you know, these pallets on a, on a truck and then we'll go onto a ship. Well, you have those items still sitting there. Um, and the problem is even if you're back up into full, full functioning, it's that whole dry edge problem. It's, it's how much capacity, like how much do we have? that could actually move the items from A to B. And then you have all those blank sailings as well. I mean, the blank sailings you have, um, I can grab the numbers, but it was pretty outstanding. It was like, it was like 30, 
30 out of 44 were canceled combined, East Coast, West Coast, going in from last week. And remember, those are blank sailings that would arrive in upwards of 30 days coming to the United States. So you always have that trickle-down effect. So what we're looking at now won't hit our shores um, until, you know, X amount of travel time. Lorianne, can you can you give a little bit more color on uh, if if you have any on specific um, you know specific industries that are being hit the most? You know we you know we know uh, originally you know travel and tourism were hit, airliners were hit, these luxury goods uh, during this Lunar New Year time. This is obviously a time yeah. where Chinese people get out and they spend a lot of money, uh, especially yeah. on luxury goods. You know, can you give any color on to uh, onto what industries may be hit the hardest uh, in in the U.S. Well, I think you hit the majority of them. I think what, what what's going to be interesting is from a retail perspective, um, how quickly they get their items in. Um, it kind of reminded me when I was uh, speaking with one of the analysts, uh, Dana Telsey, about um, looking at uh, the inventory, if you will. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because uh, back when I wrote my first book, which was about the, um, the you know, the... the um, the, the banking, the, you know, when everything went belly up back in 27, you know, back in uh, 2008, where they were stuck with inventory items. If you have things that are that are time sensitive from a seasonality standpoint, will you have to see markdowns? So I think we have to see just from a standpoint with the blank sailings, with the dry edge, not where it should be, you know, will the targets of the world have to uh, you know, mark down maybe some spring items because they're coming in later versus, you know, earlier. Because um, when it comes to this time of year from one of my retailers, they were saying that it's the springtime items that would mm. be impacted. So it, I think we just have to see when the stuff comes in. Yeah, is that something that, that, that kind of happened during the pull forward in 2018? Is that the inventory levels, especially on the West Coast, were so high that you had markdowns to to work through inventory? Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing. It's it's literally you've got to go through your inventory, mm-hmm. uh, and also too is if the inventory comes in late, then what the heck do you do? You know, with your, know, right? your dresses and, and things like that. You know, if it comes in um, two weeks before whatever the holiday is, or what you know, be it Mother's Day or you know whatever it's supposed to be coming in. Um, you know, what do they need to do to move that product? Because they're, they're not going to want it. You know, I mean, spring's a, almost like, it's not like a throwaway season for retail, but it's not a huge season for retail like, compared to back to school. I guess on the back, uh, on, on the bright side for trucking, though, there'll be some expedited opportunities uh, with, when those exactly. late shipments come in. Uh, so that, that should pop up rates a little bit, especially in the short term. And kind of what we saw a little bit in 2018, just kind of a, a different mm-hmm. cycle and, and certainly a different reason for this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want, I, I kind of want to jump into to exports as well because you've done yeah. a, a lot of work on the trade agreement, um, how that's coming in, phase one, and sure. all the, uh, I, I don't know if, if you call them guaranteed purchases, uh, but agreed to purchases by 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 China and how the coronavirus is affecting that and, and kind of what you saw um, even before the the outbreak outbreak really saw on the numbers of, of in, in exports especially agricultural products. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, when when going back to a trade war, um, and, and let's face it, we're still in a trade war right now. It's just at a pause. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with all the with all from what the flow of trade showed me based on hard data wasn't, you know, Republican or Democrat, you know, flow of trade is agnostic, right? It flows. 
just tells you like it is. China was not buying. China, over the course of the, the trade war with the United States, was very successful in terms of expanding its uh, trade world outside of the United States, despite the rhetoric that we heard from President Trump saying, you know, our soybeans are the best in the whole world and the quality is great and, you know, they need us. Well, they, they didn't. Um, and it was all based on a flow of trade. Uh, because of uh, the, the tariffs, it enabled um, our competitors, be it Brazil, be it even Canada, just north of North Dakota, to raise the price of their soybeans just under uh, what our at what our tariff was. So they were making more profit, and they started expanding their fields. You had uh, China buying instead of North Dakota soybeans; they were buying Canadian soybeans, and they were un- they were an increase by sixty percent. And then with Brazil, um, you know, we're going to be looking at that now, and I call it the tail of the soybean. April is normally when China starts buying uh, their soybeans because they buy when they're fresh, and that's when they come to harvest. We really need to look at, at that time to see the volumes of how much they're going to be buying because you have African swine fever. And, you know, their pig population it was decimated by 60%. They didn't need as many soybeans for that type of meal. When it came to eating, they increased their Brazilian uh, soybean intake by a lot more. And if you listen to the rhetoric by the Chinese and you listen to the rhetoric of, say, even the EU that is contested, if you will, uh, the phase one, uh, the EU and China have increased their trade relationship. But you have um, China saying, we are. this is not going to impact our trade relationship. Translation, they're going to continue to buy. So we lost whatever um, opportunity there was to grow additional. But what you're going to see, the loophole in all of this is lumber. They need lumber. Lumber is agriculture. So when people think that this phase one is going to be a boon for the soybean farmer, it, it, it's based on the flow of trade. If China wants to make everybody mad um, based on the increase of relationships that they did, that's what they would have to do in order to buy those soybeans. And they're not going to. They've already said that. Lorian, I'm glad you mentioned so the, you know, the yeah. I guess not the ease, but uh, the ability that China's had to um, move uh, move their production away uh, from America to other countries. You know, we've heard from U.S. executives and from U.S. manufacturing uh, companies that they've had uh, they haven't had such uh, such ease that they that no one's really as prepared to build uh, manufacturally as as China. So we've the, the U.S. companies have had difficulty moving it away. And you mentioned something just a minute ago when uh, before we got on the trade topic about companies marking down items. So do you, you think it's more uh, more likely that that these companies will mark down uh, items that have arrived late rather than try to find production outside of China during this uh, coronavirus? If they haven't already started to do that, they're, from what I've been told from some of the manufacturing guys, they're not going to. Um, you know, coronavirus is, from what I've been told from the retailers, they're more concerned about the, t- the existing tariffs that are still on their product versus the coronavirus. Because the coronavirus eventually will peter out, you know, once it gets warmer. But the self, self, but the one thing that is sustainable are those tariffs. So if you're going to have movement out, it won't be out on the coronavirus. It'll be because of those tariffs. But the problem is the interconnectivity, if you will, of China. Um, one of my retailing sources, who is a consultant um, in that area, told me that say you have a blast, okay, but you make the blast in Taiwan, but the buttons can be manufactured in China. 
if the plant is closed in China, you can't get the buttons or the thread, if you will, over to make that blast. So there are components where you may have the raw material to make the item, but the the doohickeys, if you will, right, the thread, the buttons, the labels, those may be coming on an as-needed basis. And if that plant is closed, they don't have the inventory, if you will, to make that item. Right, Lorianne. So I... Oh, I was just going to mention that. Uh, so our, our passport research team just uh, wrote something about the coronavirus, did a little bit of an update, and they and I think they said uh, something that uh, goes well with what you just said. They think they think the largest impacts to uh, any other international economies will be the neighboring countries of China. Do you do you think that's true? Yeah, because of the interconnectability. It, exactly, and one of the other things which I found was interesting was one of my sources was telling me that. China, because of their, you know, Belt Road Initiative and China 2025 and because of their trade, you know, their trade prowess, if you will, right? They, they're the leadership, the Chinese leadership for some of these manufacturing plants, they can't get back. So in, in say, if they have a plant in the Philippines, but the worker, like the managers in China, that the Philippines are not allowing the Chinese in. So you may have workers ready to go, but the bosses are stuck in China. Which leads you like all the way back to what we see with the pro- the problem with drayage, how there's no trans city service. You can't be moving around. You're not allowed. So it's it really just shows you the fingers, if you will, the web that China has created outside of itself. It, um, and you know it's just fascinating. It is fascinating. It definitely is. On uh, if we take a view of stocks and industries that 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 are going to be the most affected by this retail of course is is one of those logistics as well um on on, on that side of things what other industries are, are the most affected by supply chain and do you think it's, it's mostly uh, companies that have exposure from uh, manufacturing goods in china and, and importing or is there just as much exposure um through the coronavirus and and lack of, of facilities for American companies that export to China? Well, for the last, what was it, for the last 14 or 15 months, U.S. exports to China are down. China's not buying, no matter what the rhetoric is, or if they are buying, it's it's at a very small, it's at a lower amount. So when you, when we all hear about how great it is that the, the trade deficit, right, between the United States and China is down. Yes, it is down. But when you look at the numbers, U.S. exports to China are down and U.S. and Chinese exports to, to the United States are down. So it's, so it, it, it's smaller. But um, just not even, oh my, I would say maybe like an hour or two ago, uh, the Port of Oakland, you know, released its numbers. And, you know, it, it, you know, they talk about how, you know, exports are, exports, U.S. exports are up which is great, which means that, that we are finding ground. But they're, but they're also saying in the same breath, when you're looking at the coronavirus, um, it, 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 when we look at this outbreak, it kind of blurs the trade outlook because we don't know. And that's the word that they're using. It blurs the trade outlook. When it comes to quarantines and these emergency measures, right, when it comes to what's happening with manufacturing and how many people are in there and also the health of the consumer, they're not shopping. So if you're making a product that is going into a Chinese store and people aren't buying, that means the store is not ordering them. So again, we have to see, um, it may not be an impact right now, but it might be a delayed impact because we're not getting those orders because things are still 
you know, mm-hmm. things are still, you know, closed. Very good. And that impacts rail. You know, it impacts rail. Mm-hmm. It impacts trucking. It definitely does. It, it, all modes of transportation, right? It, it just flows through there. It seems like air is doing maybe a little bit better because of the, the, the flows, but uh, that will will probably be cycled out soon. And, and basically, there will be some some serious volatility in, in all the freight markets. Exactly. And and the interesting thing is Gene Soroka told me this, you know, back during when the trade war was at its height. Um, you know, people celebrate that we are expanding on our exports out to other countries like Vietnam, which is great. But he but he said it takes seven it takes seven Vietnams to equal one China in terms of volume. Yes. In terms of container volume. That's a lot. It That's is a the, lot. That, those are a lot of trucks. It is a lot of, of it is a lot of trucks. It's a lot of transportation. I noticed that whenever we dug into the the U.S. China, um, whenever this started last May, is that uh, especially with Vietnam, you know, it's a tenth of size, maybe even smaller of that of the the import market to the U.S. So it, exactly. it does. It takes seven, at least seven Vietnams to equal one China. So everyone can't hit the door at once and expect to go set up uh, manufacturing plants with uh, with actual facilities and labor uh, in, in Vietnam. So it kind of it squeezes everyone uh, in, inside and outside uh, of those manufacturing lines. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's. Um, I think that's uh, that's all the time we have. I think you have a, a meeting to go to as well. Here at two thirty, <laughs> so we will let you off. So, if if anyone out there wants to get a hold of you, how is the best method to do that? Best way um, is through LinkedIn. Uh, I've got lots of great facts and figures on uh, the flow of trade. You know, in trade war, containers don't lie, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm always available, and I'm always constantly. I'm going to be posting some LinkedIn uh, data uh, shortly. Perfect. And you have something out there with a route of, a, I think, a Carnival cruise line uh, around China that, that, that's not allowed to dock. So I, I saw that earlier today. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's on a cruise to nowhere. Yes. And unfortunately, you got people that might be sick. So I don't know if it's a pleasurable cruise to true. nowhere. So we'll Very see. true. Well, thank yeah. you again for your time and, um, and, and certainly come back on the show uh, anytime you'd like. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All you right. bet. Thanks, Lorraine. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. There we go. All right. Well, we apologize if there were any technical difficulties there. I don't know if uh, she was as loud as we would have liked her to be. She sounded good to us. Not, how, not sure how she sounded to you guys, uh, but thanks for, for, for sticking with us through that one. Live podcasting. It's That's an adventure right. every time, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. We're learning. It, That's our first live call-in. Uh, it was uh, our, we'll get better from there. Yeah, our first live call-in. And uh, we had a few other, you know, we had an actual intro today, which was really good. It, it kind of threw us off the mark a little bit because we did three or four pack practice runs before we knew they were practice. Yeah, we'll, so. have, to put a, we'll have to put a blooper reel together uh, here in the next <laughs> couple of weeks. Well, very right. good. Very good. We'll, we'll move over to our, our next one. Thank you, Lorianne, again. And thank you, uh, our friends over at Carrier Direct that also supplied a lot of information for that segment on coronavirus and kind of implications for, for stocks and, and industries. Uh, so thank you, Crary Direct, Diane, Ryan, and Peter. Uh, you know, but, but you know, Ryan and Peter, I think, are in Miami Beach right now. Oh, so yeah, I'm not going to feel too sorry yeah. for those guys. I'm sure it's so they're down on the Stiefel Conference uh, on Miami Beach in the Fountain Blue right now. So sounds lovely. 
It, 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 it is lovely. It, it rains a lot in Miami, but at least it's 85 oh, degrees. It, it, so. it's, it's gorgeous. I usually go down there. I, I missed it this year. Yeah. It's it's the same forecast every day in Miami. It's like high of 85, low of 65, chance of rain in the afternoon. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful down there on Miami Beach. What's next, Andrew? Uh, we have the DHL supply chain, pricing power index. Talk we a little do, bit about uh, the, the pricing power between the shippers and carriers in the market. Uh, we have fallen again to uh, a total of 25. This is uh, five out of six weeks now. These shippers have gained some pricing power. Uh, the pricing power peaked at 45 mm-hmm. back towards Christmas uh, during that typical uh, holiday capacity tightening. Uh, but now those shippers are, are in dominant control. I think rates are down below $1.40 a mile. Uh, from our on our DAT uh, rate view, they are, and from what Lorianne was saying, that it could get a little bit worse because of the lack of imports coming in, lack of exports going out uh, during this time of year. And though it might brighten up in April going forward, as everything on pallet that can't ship right now will ship out. Uh, yeah, sorry, I've, I've been distracted by this massive jackhammer in, in the office. I, I know, right? Uh, Again, yes, it, live, yeah, live podcast. Podcasting. Here we are. Um, yeah, it, it, things probably going to get worse before they get better. Um, this is just a, and it just, it's very ill timed, not only for China, but for the global economy as things have started to slow down. Chinese economy was at 6% last year, lowest it's been in, in 30 years or so, and it looks to even go lower this year. Them being our biggest trade partner, you know, 20% of the world GDP. Yeah, I, th- I think the back, order, back, the, the back order process, because basically coming into April, May, you're you're doing your orders to get things on a boat to get here certainly before black friday but you know cer- you know basically in october so you can have your distribution chain 2018 was um was all over the place because of pull forward it it destroyed the natural seasonal pattern i think we're going to see another year where it destroys the natural seasonal pattern so in the short run very it could be a little bit painful for trucking and transportation and rail and intermodal but at some point, you're going to get a bottleneck, and there's going to be a lot of expedited type of, of situations. So, you know, wait and cash in on those. Yeah, Dooner and I talked about this uh, on the Freightways Radio this weekend, that it's going to, it, this year is going to set a new normal for a peak season. Uh, not new normal, but a new peak season in 2020 than it, than it ever has. It's going to have that big disruption whenever the, this, this virus gets completely under control and, and everybody goes back to work. And, and hopefully that's soon. Hopefully. I mean, we you know, can only know. hope it. It almost seems now, at least in the Passport uh, Research Project that, that JP and his team put out, um, it seems now that, that they've contained everyone in Wuhan, that it's almost a... Uh, it's almost like a sacrifice. They're sacrificing that little region and trying to keep everybody out, uh, which you know we'll see. Will end up being a good plan or not? You know, we don't know if the data is correct, but we do know the data is scary. There's over a thousand deaths now, uh, so yes, it's it's a big impact. It is. It is scary. And that Passport Research is a five-page uh, research report on the coronavirus and its impact in, in China and basically freight flows. Uh, similar, very similar to what Lori Ann was saying, but, but delving into to different pockets of, of data. And that's going to be published out, I think, either this afternoon or tomorrow. I know in tomorrow's newsletter, it's going to be included, as well as I, I think we're sending out in a special email this this afternoon. So it's a free peek into the Passport Research. Uh, a service that we have here that's tied in with live event tickets. And it's, it's a great product. Just go to FreightWaves.com slash Passport to, to learn more about those those packages. And I guess one one last little bright note uh, for both sides on the on the 
pricing power on the DHL supply chain pricing power index is we've had some good economic data uh, come out this week and last week um, employment was again really strong 225,000 jobs added in mm-hmm. January so a good number there I did see that they had revised down you know they do full year revisions and they revised down like 500,000 jobs of the last year but it still didn't change the unemployment rate so things are still chugging along we had some real PMI? wage growth Yep. Uh, so the PMI, PMI finally is, were, what is it, 50.3 or yep, 50.9? 50. 50.9. 50.9. Uh, so manu- that meaning manufacturer. Yep. Expansionary uh, growth for the manufacturing sector. That was first time since, uh, I think, July of last year. Yeah. And on the bad note, there. the rates are still down. Yeah, rates are still down. They're like in the toilet. Yes. I mean, they're, they're they've gone, gone, gone back. Uh, so, so basically, uh, you know, still over capacity. Yeah, I mean, so you, you look at our look at our freight waves rate predictor uh, that's mm-hmm. housed in Sonar. We're looking forward a month, even three months. You're not seeing much change uh, to the upside there. You're really not, and I don't think you you will until until certainly the the seasonal peak. You know, the, the summer season when right. manufacturing, construction, produce. really produce. Yeah, exactly right. Really gets going. So I, I'm going to be a permable about about March and April, mm. and hopefully. I won't have to become an even more perma bull after that, but we we will see. We will see. Well, cool. Uh, So, yeah, some of that other, you know, riding off that economic data, we can talk a little bit about the earnings season thus far. We've, uh, the last week, we've had a couple big names. Uh, A big one yesterday was XBO. We did a whole segment on them a couple weeks ago. We did, you know, back uh, two weeks ago, I think episode 13, we had, is this the end of XBO as we know it? And from their their quarterly earnings in the fourth quarter, it looks like yes, it probably is. It, yeah, it I mean, looks more and more like it is. Yeah, the the, the LTL is outperforming everything. Eighty three point nine was that the uh, OR? That was yeah. OR. It was a five hundred basis point uh, improvement year over year. But Seth told me that part of that was with a real estate transaction, so it was really only about a hundred and fifty basis points okay. improvement, which is still fantastic. The the brokerage. And that's something that we're working on at the Freight Intel Group is is going through all the public brokerages and, and seeing change quarter sequentially, as well as years year over year changes in, in margins and revenue and loads. They I think they outperformed every other public broker uh, with that. Something in the water. Uh, it really is there in, in Greenwich. It really is. And the the crazy the, the great thing or great thing crazy thing however you want to describe it is that their net income was up eighteen percent. Yada yada yada. They they bought it back twenty five percent of their shares. Twenty five percent. Twenty five percent of XBO shares they bought back over the last year in, in twenty nineteen, and ten percent of the or in the in Q four they it was ten percent. So in the Q four they bought back ten percent of their shares. Gives a little bit of gives a little bit of light to that EPS. It really does. Fifty percent. Yeah, year. you know, right. it's and really the, it's basically non financial information. No numbers included in this. But one of the most interesting things that they announced their new CFO, who comes from Windham, Windham Resorts and also Avitz and specializes, this is basically all he does, spinoffs and He's asset sales. Right. So basically when we say is this the end of XBO as we know it, it probably is. You bring in the, break, the breakup guy. The, the breakup guy, yeah. and he's going to maximize the value out. Basically they're, they're, they're trading at 10 times EV to EBITDA right now. And if you can get up to somewhere in the range of Old Dominion, right. you know, 14, 14 15, 15, 16, yeah. then, you know, you have you basically made a fortune yeah. just in that move. Again, so, and, they, and if they spin off these these four units, they, they can have, you know, $10 oh, billion in cash or so, pay yeah. down all their debt. You're looking yeah, at a— Take themselves private. They can roll up again. You know, Brad Jacobs can retire. Maybe go roll up something else. 
another I, industry. I, I don't, I, think I don't this know. I will ever retire. Oh wait, I don't he, think he's. He, uh, you can't. I think he's. It's like the Joe Pa of. Uh, yeah. Of building companies through acquisition. Exactly right. So that was one of the, the most interesting ones that they they reported uh, late last night. One, or not late one last, last night, but after they, they dropped LTL operating expenses over twenty percent year over year. I mean, I don't know how you do that. I, I don't know either. I think this this pure pay this pure play LTL from XBO. Whenever they get these divestures done, is going to be a monster. I, I think it is. Mean. It's going to be the third largest LTL provider. It's going to have a great OR. Uh, they'll be able to do acquisition. They'll have the flexibility to do whatever they want to. And uh, it'll be an interesting story to see in 2020, and we'll follow it. Um, because, you know, the, basically a really well-operating company and, and really good financial engineering. And it's just a compelling story. Definitely. Uh, with Brad Jacobs at the helm. Uh, let's jump on to Echo. Echo actually had some some uh, pretty promising uh Q4 numbers too, comparatively to to some of these other uh, brokerages and interme- intermediaries that have been. They did. Poor. Their gross margin went down seventy basis points, so seven tenths of a percent, yep. which is really good. XBO did, uh, I think, the same seventy basis points, and both of those guys saw the 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 lightest, you know, the lightest declines in gross margin percentage. Yes, uh, which is with good. That, with that said, net income down uh, almost eighty percent on the uh, year over year. So, uh, you know, coming off a really hot year in twenty eighteen, it's not all that surprising that the brokerage revenue would be so far down. Uh, but management did; they have the same expectations as us. They are mm-hmm. permabulls as well. They are expecting a, a substantial improvement here through the end of Q one. Yeah, they have flat volumes too. I think, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is which is good. Which is good. You know, you can do. 2018 or 2019 over 2018 with flat volumes and and only a 70 basis point drop. Yeah, that's the most important part for me is the, is the margin compression was really limited. They were able to cut some costs and and can, and keep that margin close. Mm-hmm. It's good. Definitely. Uh, next is Daimler. Uh, did I pronounce that? Is it Daimler? I think it's Daimler. Oh, Daimler. Wow. My German but I don't is not know. good. And never trust me with pronunci- yeah, pronunciations, I should, I should, right? They're, they're I? number one. <laughs> Do not trust me. Uh, so, yes, this is the, the parent company of Daimler Trucks, uh, one of the biggest truck manufacturers in the, in the country. They reported a 51% drop uh, in new Class 8 truck orders year over year. Oh, yeah. That is, that's, that's, that's the story, right? That, that is the story. Below, we've been below this... Uh, uh, this level of like the 225 per month class eight truck orders that will replenish the the fleets leaving. We've been below that number for a year now. This is not unexpected to have a 51 percent drop. Oh, is, is nothing at all in talk about easy compar- comparables or comparisons year over year. Uh, new class eight truck orders have, probably have the easiest easiest comparisons that that you can ever think about. Right? They were 10 percent January orders were 10 percent year over year above growth, and they were. You know, I, I forget what the yeah, maybe fifteen thousand. Yeah, they weren't a lot. No, they were they weren't even close to uh, to where where the historically where they they should be. Replacement rates about twenty three thousand per month. So we're still at fifteen. We're year over year gains and still about eight thousand, probably what a, a third below what replacement level is. Which good, is good for good capacity. Sign, good sign for the truckers. It is a good sign carriers. for the truckers. Yeah, but this again, this will take time to churn. Not good some sign. Of this. Not not good for Daimler though. No, not good for Daimler. But, but uh, with that being said, they still grew revenue five percent. Uh, EBIT did fall eleven percent, so they weren't able to reduce costs very much. Uh, but, and, and basically, Daimler. This isn't just a subsidiary that's public, right? It's, it's the entire Daimler organization, yeah, the which is Mercedes, right? Mercedes, Chrysler. So trucking's probably a, a, a very small. Yeah, portion I, of their I think portfolio, they had 500 billion in revenue. So I don't, you know, this is a, a very small portion. 
Yeah. I held the revenues through again. Uh, the revenues were up. The 5%? Daimler Trucks revenue was up 5%. Oh, Don, okay. Trucks. However you so, pronounce so, that company, their truck division revenue is up 5%. <laughs> I just wonder how, how their total revenue was because the car market's kind of plateaued as well. I right? can tell you. Uh, don't worry about it. Okay. We won't worry don't, about it. D- don't worry about it. Don't okay, so we've got uh, we've got some a, a couple fun segments up here for long short. We're give a, I think we okay. should, we should talk these ones out a little bit more because there sure. there's some uh, there's some good things to talk about, especially on the second one. Uh, the first one may go a bit shorter. This is Airbnb, one of my favorite companies in the in the whole world. Uh, there are talks for an IPO in 2020. Mm-hmm. I'll run through a little bit of the reason why they want to do that and what they've been doing thus far. Uh, so they they had proven themselves to be a, a profitable uh, tech company. They they made almost 20 million dollars in EBITDA in 2018. Uh, but they've ramped up marketing expenses to try to bring more listings onto the platform in 2019. They spent mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars. I think they've now got about 7 million, uh, 7 million properties in 160 countries or something. So they've almost gone all the way lo- around the world. Their user base is growing 25 or 30% each year. Their bookings are up 20% year over year to $10 billion total. Uh, but... They're planning for this IPO in 2020. It's kind of been pushed along uh, since 2019. Are you long shorting? Are you long or short I, that that Airbnb will IPO in 2020? I was looking for something because I got an alert on my phone. When I was walking back from lunch, and it was something to do with Airbnb. I can't find it now. It was probably from the Wall Street Journal or something. Uh, I, I'm long Airbnb. You know, uh, even though they lose money. You think they'll you think they'll IPO in 2020 though? Uh yeah. I, well. No, I don't. So I'm short. Okay. Uh, I'm Long short. IPO as a as a company, short them on IPOing in 2020. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for for any tech tech play that doesn't really have a a, a focus on profitability and, and a plan to IPO in 2020. Uh, 2021 maybe. Maybe maybe that it gives them time to 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 adapt to the new market, but I think after we work uh everyone has to to think about profitability or at least get a goal. Uber's really I think Finally, I think Uber is actually got serious about profitability, it. Yeah. I, I think they really are. You know, we got some some information from the PR agency about Uber Freight, and they, they've lowered some of their detention pay and, and gotten more in line with the market mm-hmm. in, in general. And you know, their comments on their conference call, it, it, it looks like they're they're actually you know driving toward profitability. And maybe I think their goal now is fourth quarter of twenty twenty. Yeah, I've heard the same. Uh, I would agree with you. There's been a, you know, we, we've talked about it here at Freight Waves and all over Silicon Valley that there's been a change in investor sentiment, both private and public markets, uh, in the last 18 months or so. And, and WeWork was the, the pinnacle of it. That was the it biggest was. debacle of them. But there were many before them. They, you know, the Peloton yeah. IPO, Lyft, Uber, Slack, a, a lot of companies that had terrible IPOs, probably IPO too early, pre-profit. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the great news on Slack this week. Yeah, big, big, uh, IBM. big, big IBM as their customer. Yeah. Their stock jumps, I don't know, 75% or something, yeah. something crazy. Uh, I am also short them IPOing in 2020, um, but not it only only be, not have anything to do with Airbnb, only because of the, the sentiment in the market currently. Yeah, yeah uh, the same. I, think, I do think they get back to profitability either this year or next year. I think they, they've been ramping up and spending a lot of money, but I think they will rein that in. They'll, they'll use the sentiment that they're getting back from their S1 and from public investors. One thing that is interesting, though, they're looking to do the same thing that Spotify and Slack did, which was do a direct listing. They're not looking to raise money uh, through an investment bank. Um, so that could change their decision on, on the, you know, they might have a, not get such a good gauge on sentiment uh, as you would going through an investment banker. 
True, but but once the shares hit the public market, you have the retail investors or the the, the money managers who who are the same same investors that that, that bought into the IPO and, and flipped them, and and the, the shareholder base kind of churned through that. So with that said, you know it, it, it's better with the direct listing, and in this environment, I don't think it's bulletproof. I think they they, they probably wait until twenty twenty one. All right, so we're both short there on the Airbnb IPO in 2020. Yeah. Uh, now, next is something that we've just gotten. We saw it yesterday. Yep. Uh, this is at, at, from Trevor Milton, uh, the CEO of Nikola Motors. He had teased this truck back, uh, I guess, whenever the Cybertruck was dropped, when Elon Musk dropped the Cybertruck. Yeah, you like Tesla. trolled Elon. Yes, he basically he posted a, a truck that looks more like a truck. It looks like a, a very nice, you know, 2020 style of uh, of pickup truck. It doesn't mm-hmm. look as futuristic as the old ones, but it certainly doesn't look like an F-150. You know, Nikola's made headlines across the freight industry with its hydrogen approach uh, to a more sustainable over-the-road transportation. They're trying to make zero emissions big rigs. Um, he believes that the road to implementation for hydrogen is much smoother than electric, which he's probably not wrong. Uh, it's much it's much easier to transform a, a gas station into a hydrogen station than it will be to transform them into an electric station. I've seen this truck. The specs are ridiculous. He's he's thinking like 600 mile capacity on the 600 mile range on this thing. 900 horsepower, zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. I mean, it's got all the specs of the Cybertruck plus a much longer, uh, a much longer range, mm-hmm. and it's it's more up your wheelhouse. Wheelhouse? Are you longer shorts? Uh, this truck, the Badger. So so number one, I'm long hydrogen. I think it's 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 been a while since I really got into hydrogen or electric. I mean, it's probably been like 10 years. But I still like hydrogen better, and uh, I wish I could tell you exactly why. <laughs> but but I've, I've forgotten those things. I am getting old these days. But uh, but hy- hydrogen, it's basically it's water based, so you don't need the electricity plants. You don't need all the energy that goes into to 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 getting materials for the battery, right? And then recharging that battery. I think it's it's a much cleaner cleaner way of operating, and I think the truck is is awesome. I think it's badass, man. It is is so much better than Cybertruck. I mean, it's, it's something that I think anyone would drive. I think any contractor out there, anyone who uses a truck for work or for play or or any who would buy an F-150 would buy that truck. And if you haven't seen a picture of that truck, go out, uh, Google, what, Nikola? Yeah, just if you Google the, the Nikola Badger. Yeah, it'll, Nikola it'll Badger, it'll yeah. come up. It's a great, it's great, just a really great truck. So you're long. Oh yeah, I'm long. I'm gonna juxtaposition you here, and I'm gonna yeah. go short on the Nikola, uh, the Nikola Badger. I think I, I like Trevor Milton. I really like what Nikola's doing. But with that said, I think they're playing in a land that they don't uh, quite understand. They don't understand car manufacturing. Uh, they haven't even produced their first uh, Nikola truck yet. This has been three years after they released it. We're still waiting on the first one of those to roll off the uh, the production line. So I'm and they get, he gave no time frame on to when this would come out. Or so he's, a price he's acting point. like Elon Musk. Yes, he's giving no price yeah, yeah, point, yeah. no no uh, no expectation date. So uh, they, they may end up producing a few of these, but they've also brought out an, an ATV and a uh, and and a Wave Runner, a, a Sea Doo that that said they're going to sure. be you know all hydrogen bat, uh, hydrogen powered uh, Sea Doos. No, Tesla so, never come out with either of those. No, they came out with the the, the four wheeler, right, or or something. The 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 cycle. Uh, he he. Whenever well, they they launched the Cybertruck. Um, 
Or is that maybe that maybe the what was Nikola? I think it was Nikola. T- t- he has uh, Elon's um, said that he'll never he won't produce those type of vehicles. He almost got he almost killed himself in a motorcycle wreck. Oh, that's a bunch right. Of years ago, yeah. so he said he's going to stay away from. Even though I do, he's think just going to go to space. They could dominate the uh, motorcycle yeah. business if they wanted to. Electric motorcycles are the future. Uh, but yeah, so I'm sure it's a Badger. I think it's a cool truck. I'll never buy one. I'll take a Cybertruck over the Badger all day. Uh, if I wanted a truck like that, I'd go buy an F-150, a very dependable. So you take the Cybertruck over? Oh, any day. Over the twice on the, the Badger. Yes, absolutely. Oh my god, absolutely. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Why? Well, and if I'm going to buy a truck, I'm, not, I'm never going to buy a truck. But if I were to buy a truck, I'd want one to look like nobody else's truck. So I'd go for the Cybertruck. Get that well, thing uh, in you, matte black. You would achieve that goal. Matte black. Oh yeah, be gorgeous. Yeah. Be like Mad Max. Yes, I'd probably. Going through the Australian desert. Yeah. You'll have to get movie. Dean in the, the seat one? next to you. You seen the new one? The the one with Tom Hardy? And I uh, can't remember the woman. No, I, I barely uh, made it through the run. first one. Oh, the, fir- the new one. The, the original one. The new one's it incredible. Was, it was, it was, I, I don't it's know. Less, I never it's, got into it. It's less outlandish. It's kind of more, you know, uh, dystopian, uh, Ameri- yeah. dystopian world. Yeah. You should check it out. Okay. I, I will. I, I will. I, I'll go uh, I'll go rent it, get it on Amazon or something like that. All right. All right. Very good. All right. Well, what do we got coming up this week? We got any we got any research coming out? It's maybe Seth's uh, project on updating. We, the, we do. We have two. We have okay. two things coming out. The, the first one is a shipper rate outlook, um, sponsored by U.S. Bank and Recon Logistics, that will go out. And then uh, second that we have in Passport and Sonar is Seth's paper, which I can't think of the name, but basically freight it's, a, uh, freight perform- it's an freight update broker performance through the uh, through the through, cycle. through the cycle, which yes. we published the first one. Uh, back around July-ish uh, of this year, and we've updated that for Q3 and Q4 numbers, and we're going to pinpoint where in the cycle we are. And if you have questions about what the freight broker cycle is, you can go to FreightWaves.com, and we're actually just Google FreightWaves, uh, freight broker performance across the cycle, and there's an article, a preview of the, the whole report out there that explains uh, the four phases of margin contraction, and expansion across the, the the cycle of of performance in this cyclical industry. That's right. And I guess we're now we're now eighty days out from our event uh, in Atlanta, May May fourth and fifth. Uh, our Freightwaves Live. If you want tickets to that and all of our research, you go find uh, passports. Yeah. Uh, you get on get on Freightwaves.com, Look up passport. Yeah. You get two free tickets and all of our research for a year uh, for a great price. So yeah. Go check it out. You get one ticket for the spring and one ticket for the fall, and all of our research, our research, JP's research. It's I think we're counting up. It's going to be so. It, it is somewhere between 15 to, to 18 uh, pieces of research, both micro and kind of macro research uh, across the, the freight industries, um, trucking, intermodal, ocean, freight flows, coronavirus, Anything, all everything. of it. Anything and everything. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and we're always open to new topics, so you shout yeah, them out def- if yeah. you have Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Find us on LinkedIn. My email is Cahill, K-H-I-L-L, at FreightWaves.com. Uh, mine's Acox, A-C-O-X, at FreightWaves.com. Yeah. And again, thank you very much, Carrie Direct, for for providing us a lot of this great information. And Lorianne LaRocca. LaRocco. Your L- pronunciation. I know. I, it's it's, right. it's horrible, isn't it? Okay. Uh, well, I'm we'll sorry. see you next week. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.